morning, everyone. I'm so happy to join uh, your Sunday service today. Thank you for the invitation. I'd like to start by just sharing a line that our third head Dharma master, Tezan, had written in his commentary on the principal book of One Buddhism. And on the very first page, he wrote, only the practitioner who practices the truth can be a reliable guide of the way for all humanity. A true practitioner is one who actualizes the teaching in their life. So I read this line and I had the question, what does it mean to put the te teachings into practice? So if your thoughts are doing what your hands should be doing, is that application. Uh, for example, you should be cleaning your room, but instead of cleaning it, you're thinking about it and you're thinking about it really seriously. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, I gotta clear up my stuff on the, that's on the floor, gotta vacuum, but you don't get up and you, actually, you don't actually do it. Well, this is not application. Or you have to go to Philadelphia for an important meeting or for a, a, you know, to meet somebody and you say, okay, I just should go, I need to go, I, I want to go, but you don't actually get into a vehicle to go. And again, this is not application. So one of the great illnesses of a practitioner is this, you know, um, I should do this, I really should do it. I know it's good for me, but not actually doing it. And it's hard. And I say this because it's difficult for me as well. I find myself, even after many years of practicing, you know, there's times when I said, oh, I, I see it in the scriptures. I've been told to it by my teacher. I know it's good for me. And yet sometimes it's difficult to apply. So why is this the case? Why is it difficult for us to apply when we know what's good for us or what's wholesome for us? And so Master Sotisan, he explains it in the following way. And he said, no matter what you may be doing, whether you are wholly devoted to it or not, depends on how well you understand its connection to yourself. So he says, review with a, with a critical spirit whether you have awakened to what connections your practice has to yourselves. So take a moment to just reflect you know, what connection does my practice have to my life? Why do I practice? He goes on to say that everyone wants things that are beneficial, but does many more things that lead to harm. There's so many cases in which what one wishes in one's mind and what one practices with one's body do not correspond. This is because people don't realize the root source of suffering and happiness. And even if they do know it, they don't put it into practice. So it's easy for us to commit the same mistakes over and over again and continue the cycle of transgressions or suffering. And instead of shining the light inwards, it's easier just to point the finger outside of ourselves and say, you know, it's her fault, it's their fault. 
So why is actualizing the teaching so important? Because we live in a world where we can't control everything that's outside of us. I mean, it would be great if we could, you know, if it, you know, especially with the unresponsive boss or the uncooperative colleague or the demanding mother-in-law, if we could control all of that, if we could change all of them, it'd be so nice, but it's impossible. So Shantideva, an Indian scholar and practitioner of the seventh century, points out that the world is covered with thorns and thistles and stones. And if we walk on top of it with bare feet, we're going to stub our toes, we're gonna to hurt ourselves. So what are we going to do? Are we going to carpet the whole earth? That's impossible. However, if we take two slabs of leather, put it under our feet as sandals or shoes, then anywhere we go, we are protected. So instead of trying to carpet the earth and trying to make it perfect, trying to make the environment smooth and without conflict, which is impossible, what we can do is we can tame and we can train our mind so that we can deal with the outside situations with more awareness, with more care for ourselves and for others. And so that's why the many sages and the many Buddhas, the many enlightened masters directed us to the wisdom of the scriptures. Even master, founding master Sotisam before his passing, he urged his disciples to finish the compilation of the principal book of one Buddhism. And he stayed up late, stayed late up at night editing. And when the manuscript was completed, he sent it immediately to the printers. And he said to his disciple, since time is short, the book is not gonna be perfect, okay? But the broad essentials of my life, aspiration and vision for the most part, they're expressed in this one volume. So please receive and keep this book so that you can learn through the words, practice with your body, and realize it with your mind. So he was asking us, receive these teachings, practice it, awaken to them. And he edited it over and over again to make it simple, to make it practical, to make it rational so that we can incorporate it into our life so that it's not separate from us, so that it's not uh, just on Sunday practice or just in the temple practice. He wasn't just stressing individual enlightenment either. He was trying to provide tools to help us make sound and wise decisions in our life because every moment in every place and in every situation, we have to make a choice. And this choice that we make in that moment can either lead to a wholesome or unwholesome result. We function in a world where we are constantly meeting people and things. So if we don't understand the principles behind our human relationships, 
if we don't understand how to conduct ourselves in this inescapable environment, then we will encounter suffering and unease. So one of the passages that I appreciate is when, when Sutisan, he asked the question, who among you has discovered a scripture that can be read over and over again without end? Most people consider, for example, the 80,000 pages of sutras of Buddhism and the books of other religions to be scripture, but don't recognize the great scripture that is open right here and now. How regrettable it is. If people look at this world in the right spirit, there will be nothing in it that is not scripture. When you open your eyes, you will be seeing scripture. When you listen, you'll be hearing scripture. And when you speak, you'll be reciting scripture. And when you act, you'll be applying scripture. So he's saying that anytime and anywhere, the scripture will unfold without ending. So the important part that he's trying to describe is when he talks about scripture, he says, when we call what we call scripture, it explains two aspects. And those two aspects are human affairs, so human relationships, right? And universal principles. And he explains that human affairs are to be analyzed in terms of right and wrong, benefit and harm. And universal principles in terms of great and small being and non-being. But what's most important, what Master Sutasan is saying is that the scripture guides us to choose the right direction in our lives, to follow the way of humanity. In other words, to, to live as a human being, a true human being. So he says, first, you know, I ask you first to read well the living scripture of reality before reading all the numerous and prolix written scriptures. So when I read this, it was just ah, kind of like, it was just refreshing when I read this. I said, yes. It was a passage that uh, helped me to connect more deeply with my surroundings so that I no longer viewed it's something separate from my mind practice. And he's saying, if we view the world in this spirit, the teachings are never far from you. Everything becomes a teaching. It's not just in the written word. It's not just in the books. The whole world itself is our teaching. And this is very important because we spend most of our days engaging with people in the world. And so he's saying, Master Sutta is saying, we are born and we live and we die within human affairs and universal principles. So when we begin to understand the relationships, what works in certain relationships, we're more mindful when we use our sixth sense organs because we know what causes suffering, what causes happiness. And when we understand that, then what naturally follows is wisdom and blessings. So many compassionate Buddhas and the sages, when they provide us with these teachings, what they want us to do is they want us to be born well, want us to live well, die well, and return again soundly. So there's a story uh, 
in the founding master, in the words of the founding master, where there's these two disciples arguing about the pros and cons of current events while reading a newspaper. And Sutisan heard them and said, you know, why are you talking rashly about matters that are none of your business? You know, a person with a genuine outlook does not talk lightly about others' pros and cons. So even while reading a newspaper, the, prop, the proper conduct for practitioners and the way to gain true benefit is to examine carefully in what you read, the root cause and the good and bad fruitions that result, taking them as mirrors for one's future conduct. So for a person who reads newspapers in this way, they will become a living scripture and source material for wisdom and merit. Otherwise, you'll just be critiquing other people's pros and cons. And he said, be extremely careful about this. And I bring this up because we are in election season. Okay, I, I lived in Korea for 12 years, I moved back and I've never seen so much drama before. It's very dramatic to me, returning to the US and seeing what's going on right now. But I see even myself being attracted, glued to the news and the social media and updates about pres presidential candidates. And, and you know, we all have our prefer preferences, our opinions, our judgments and criticisms of certain leaders. But I think Sutasan might be asking, what if we looked at this situation as the scripture as well? You know, we, why don't we look at the principle of cause and effect, how certain decisions lead to particular results? We can also use it as an opportunity to reflect on our own intentions and actions. We can ask the question, why is it that when one does what is good for oneself while doing good for others, an infinite paradise is opened. Why is it that a person who is harming others and only wants what's good for oneself falls into many you know, unwholesome acts and suffering? Why is it that many enlightened Buddhas and sages teach that what I can't bear myself is what others can't bear either? So I shouldn't do to others what I find regrettable to myself. I should do to others what I also find satisfying. So he's saying inquire, when we look at the news even, take that as a living scripture, because it's easy just to fall into judgment based on our attachments, based on our biases. And if the answers don't come up right away, again, the written scriptures are there for guidance. You ask your Dharma friends and your Dharma teachers, right? Also a great way of um, viewing the world as a living scripture is through just personal contemplation. Another suggestion is journaling. Journaling has been huge for my practice. Uh, just a reflection at the end of the day. And I just want to share with you some of those entries. And I share it with, with you because uh, it's my practice because when I first started journaling, I didn't, uh, I didn't like actually sharing, exposing myself to others, but um, 
this is part of the practice. So I remember one passage, and this is so from the scriptures, I remember one passage that said, never neglect a mind of respect and awe. That's a teaching that's in there. Never neglect a mind of respect, respect and awe. And this means that whenever and wherever you encounter persons or things, treat them always with a mind of respect and awe. When one neglects a mind of respect and awe, then even in the most intimate and familiar relationships, complaint, complaints and resents, resentments may inevitably occur. So I remember reading that scripture, but this is an entry that I wrote one day. So it happened at one of our meetings with our ministers. So I said, today we had our meeting and I was prepared not to get angry at the minister. The, and I'm not gonna say names, of course. So we all sat down and then she started to speak. And I told myself, you know, Grace, don't interrupt. Don't try to interject your opinion, just listen. And as she started to get riled up, I could see myself getting a bit disturbed, stirring a bit, but I kept my cool. And then I reflected on myself. So what mindset did I hold about her? And I realized that what I lacked was that respect. Because although she had strengths, I would only remember her faults. So I paused and then I started thinking about all that she has invested in the school, her experiences, struggles, even depression and sacrifice. And then my attitude changed, my expression even changed and I felt more open. I was releasing myself from the attachments to our history with each other. And when I started opening, what she started to say actually started to make sense to me. I was like, I was like re agreeing with what she was saying. And I expressed that I agreed with her view, but I also calmly suggested what changes we should make to improve the situation. And at first she held on to her view, but after a few exchanges, she, she said that I should speak with the Dean and get it approved. So in that case for myself, the written scripture helped guide me to see certain principles of human affairs. So that helped me so that when I was out there in a situation, I was able to change the direction of the situation. So when we use the mind well, the naturally uh, what follows is the wisdom and the blessings and who is the one with limitless wisdom and blessings? The examples, the models of that are the Buddhas and sages. But does it end there? Does, does it end with just gaining wisdom and blessings? If we look at our founding motive in one Buddhism, it's not just about, again, personal awakening. Master Sutta-san said there, our mission really is to lead all sentient beings, not just humanity. He included all sentient beings to a vast and immeasurable paradise. To achieve freedom of mind. So building blessings and wisdom, Buddhahood, saving all sentient beings, they're not separate, but they all come together. So they say that each of us is part of the infinite universe. Each of us contribute to its perfection. 
I find that amazing. I hear that from one of my teachers. He's, he's, he said that to me, that you are the part of the infinite universe contributing to its perfection. And when, when we view the world as this open scripture, we are in some ways partaking in writing our life scripture. Each time we are aware, each time we live more awake and more mindful, we can change the, traje the trajectory of a situation for the better, not only for myself, but for others. So I'd like to end with a quote from the Dhammapada. The thought manifests the word, and the word manifests the deed. The deed develops into habit, and habit hardens into character. So watch the thought and its ways with care, and let them spring forth from love, born out of compassion for all beings. As the shadow follows the body, as we think, so we become. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you.